Cheerio. As human beings, don't we enjoy enjoyment? This is Five Golden Things, The Liberty Lists, a podcast of whimsy from Liberty Church Collingswood and libertycollingswood.org. We'll hear from friends as we explore everything from potent potables to morsel delectables, awkward laughables to moment teachables. You'll get lots of different categories, but remember that for each one, there can be only five. Plus a mulligan or two. Five, four, three, two, one. Lift off. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Five Golden Things, the Liberty Lists. Have we got an episode for you? I am with my good friend, Matt Harmon. Matt, how are you? Doing well. Good to be here, Jim. Yes, Matt, I think you're the first person to have been both on Post Sunday Blues and Five Golden Things. So you need to start a third podcast just so I can get the hat, the hat trick and people can throw their hats onto the ice like a Flyers game. I like it. Uh, and we are starting another podcast and you will be involved in it. So Perfect. There, there Perfect. Get your hats ready. <laughs> yeah. Gritty, you're also on our list for five Golden Things asks. I went to a Flyers game. It was R- Ransom's first Flyers game. Yeah. In between, in the second intermission, I bought uh-huh. him a hat, and then a guy got a hat trick in the third period. I was like, don't throw your hat. <laughs> 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 went in Rome up to a point. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so Matt is the lead pastor of Liberty Church Mainline. Been there three quarters of a year. At, yeah, at about this nine point. months. July first. So, whatever is, that's high math. So, yep, nine nine months or so. Basically, a veteran, and we are coming at you today in preview of these same two people are going to be hosting a Facebook Live event on our church Facebook pages on Monday, April 4th, 7.30 p.m. Get thee behind me, Lenten, the Protestant... No, wait, no. I got, I got the title wrong. <laughs> uh, get, get thee behind me, Lenten, the liturgical calendar and its malcontents in the Protestant Reformation and today. There so, you go. Promising gonna... a lot there. Yeah. We're just going to spend the entire podcast reconstructing make sure we have the title right yeah. and then we'll say good night <laughs> yeah that's, that's the first two-thirds of the evening right there <laughs> so it's going to be a church historical examination of lent and in a larger sense the liturgical calendar both refracted through the time of the reformation catholicism and protestantism and how the liturgical calendar and specifically lent sits with us and how it can be formative in this cultural moment as we engage with secularity of various forms. That's going to be church history, and today is going to be church history. We are going to be hearing from Matt about the five reasons Christians should know church history. And the reason that I am interviewing specifically Matt for this is because he is a church historian. He has, well, I mean, you have letters after your name that are relevant to this, so... (laughs) including the T and the H and the M, a master's in theology from Westminster Seminary. His thesis was on French Protestantism, Amaro, Amaraldianism for those that are, are, are hip to such things. He's also an author, so he has co-written a couple of books from PNR publishers, one Gospel According to the Old Testament series, co-authored with Ian Duguid and on the story of Joseph from from the book of Genesis, and then also the Reformed Expository Commentary series for Zephaniah, Haggai, and Malachi. 
probably the three most well-known books of the Bible. Definitely. All, all, all rolled into one. Gospel of Matthew is number four. Yeah, there we go. He, he, he worked on Malachi. So, so Matt is not only a good friend, but a distinguished scholar. And what better person to jump into church history? And part of the reason, this is the last thing I'll say, Matt, before turning it over to you again. Within Liberty Collingswood and perhaps the Liberty Community of Churches, we love, the pastoral staff love church history. I don't spend a ton of time talking about church mm. history in, in my congregation. I'll quote people at various times, but, but not really deep dive. I think we should grow in this. Mm. And whether it's the Facebook Live event in a, in a couple of weeks or hearing from you today, there are a lot of riches in church history. We know, we know what Winston Churchill said about not, not being aware of, yeah. of history before us. Uh, after I listened to a few people give speeches, um, I said that those who don't know history are, are bound to repeat Holocaust examples as their only example from history. So that's my <laughs> observation on historical awareness. There we go. Yeah, and you know, that's not just a ministry thing, right? That's cultural. Yeah. We're, we're very ahistorical and we have a very foreshortened uh, view of the past. And so we don't have a really good sense of where we are in the present because we don't have a lot of points at comparison. So. Right, permanent yeah. vertigo. So, Matt, why should we know more about church history than we do? Number five, yeah, counting number down. Five. I am going to count down. And uh, as I was initially drafting my notes, I was going to do like honorable mentions and then oh. my top five. But I realized I could just jam like four things in every point and maybe you wouldn't notice. And so I'm going to do that approach. So our, the number five is kind of like honorable mentions. I, I should say, everybody, that the three-point sermon is a big lie. There are many, <laughs> many more points in a three-point sermon. This 25-minute podcast will be 79 minutes. Um <laughs> Yeah, so number five, uh, actually my honorable mention, it would be it makes you fun at parties, and you might you might not <laughs> okay. be, you might not believe this, uh, but uh, yeah, the actually um, a fun point. So we went to a wedding of really good friends of ours, um, Amy and Jesse. I think you know oh, yeah. Amy and Jesse, and uh, he is a scholar of Augustine, um, and for their wedding they had uh, centerpieces at each table, mm -hmm. and instead of like you go find table number seven and you're yeah. with a group of people at table number seven. Right. It was go find the Emeraldian table and you're at the Emeraldian table. Wow. So I think I was actually placed at that table and, and Jesse, great, great church historian. He, what he a guy. Plucked, yeah, random, random things. So Jesse, if you're listening. They also had a beta fish at the table. So uh, we brought the beta fish home and named it after Rebecca's, uh, the person she was studying from the late, 16th century so is, that is was that like fun. a beta max what's a beta like a video tape? beta fish are, are really easy to take care of which is why it was a good fit for us you basically feed it but they're fish once a month yeah yeah oh. but they they have to live by themselves they're very competitive and so you keep it in its bowl by itself that that's another top five right there yeah yeah you should it's a good pet for kids because it's hard to kill them that would be perfect for a household <laughs> <laughs> very good Fun, fun at parties. I, yeah. I'll, I'll keep that in mind at my next one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Wait, so was that number five or honorable mention? That was, no, or? that was number five. I, okay. I promoted it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, number four, though, which is getting like the next few will be more serious and practical. <laughs> uh, so fun the, at parties is very practical. Just the number, not serious. Yeah. The number four, I think... Um, like pastorally, it's actually a big time saver at some level to know hmm. a little bit about uh, Christian history because 
um, when we're not aware of historical moments, I think we, we can be lured into thinking, oh, the thing I've just discovered or the thing I just yeah. heard from somebody else is brand new and really insightful and needs to challenge and rock all of my assumptions about everything. Yeah. Uh, and the reality is there's a lot of people who have lived and have lo had lots of ideas um, mm -hmm. and have thought about most of the things that any of us have thought about. And so there's not actually all that many new ideas. Um, yep. I, uh, you know, I think of Proverbs eighteen seventeen that says, you know, the first one to state their case sounds right, uh, and the second yeah. uh, speaks, and you realize perhaps it's not as good an argument. But um, you know, if you have if you have historical awareness, um, it can really, uh, yeah, it it gives you a framework to interpret some things which present as new, but actually are just the recycling of old ideas. I don't yeah. know if you remember this when we were in seminary. Um, open theism became kind of a, a trendy oh, yeah. thing. Yep. And um, I was working in the bookstore, and uh, we got a new book from John Frame. And I think he cranked this book out like I don't know how fast it was. It was on the the shelves really quickly. I remember um, that. Was no, that, was no, that no, other no other god? god. Yeah, yeah, no other god. <laughs> So open theism was a big thing, um, trying to re, uh, you know, re-examine the doctrine of God, who he, who he is, what his characteristics are like. Can you define real quick open theism? Yeah, so... Um, as much as it can be. Yeah, there's, there's like a cluster... I know a it's a glorious cluster, mystery of journey. Yeah, there's a cluster <laughs> of different uh, options there. Yeah, actually, so like I'll actually step back. So Frame actually just said, hey, this is not new. This is essentially repackaging of Sassinianism. Yep. So... Old version Sassinianism, new version open theism is kind of like a radical biblicism. Mm -hmm. um, so we do want people to drive back to the text of the Bible. We want to look at original sources. Um, but when we, it's almost like falling back into an extreme proof texting, yeah. Bible texting. Like if I can't find the exact sentence in the Bible of what I'm saying, then it must not be true. Right. Um, and so when that, when that comes, for instance, to the doctrine of God, um, you know, it raises questions of, oh, the Bible, the Bible says God has physical body parts. And so yep. if I'm really being biblical, maybe God has a body. Um, the, the Bible says God repents of choices that he makes. So does mm -hmm. that mean that God changes his mind rather than having a timeless plan? Yeah. Um, and essentially it's just taking, you know, those are, those are, um, challenges of biblical interpretation and it's just kind of leaning back in a different direction which the majority of the church on some of these issues had evaluated and then just realized it wasn't as helpful yeah um and so yeah that's good yeah somebody like frame just said you know what this is not new um it's not trendy um and here are all the arguments that were already crafted by past generations yeah um, the, yeah. the fun version of that uh on Socinianism and like extreme biblical literalism yeah so 17th century england yeah is um so john owen this is this is from my uh one of my church history professors called truman but yeah. john owen has this like satirical catechism mm -hmm. um which is just stating uh, Sicinian beliefs and and uh, indicating all of the um, all of the places that it leaves you kind mm -hmm. of um, adrift, you know, lack, you know, no certainty of God's right. uh, care, or concern towards you, and um, a variety of things. So I think it's the Rickovian Catechism is actually oh yeah, I John remember Owen's, that John yeah. Owen's spoof of uh -huh. um, that. I'm confident that that's something you can you can look up. I think it's R A C O V I A N Rickovian Catechism. So, so we're back to number five at the parties. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I, I think that's true as well, Matt. So both of us are in church contexts where uh, deconstructing faith hmm. is, a, yeah. is a pastoral reality for us. 
And every once in a while, we'll have either somebody at church or on the fringes of church or exploring Christianity mm-hmm. where there will be some new radical idea mm-hmm. and the person will say, nobody's, this is, this is good biblical innovation here where this, there's this radical new perspective that I think right. is absolutely correct. And we're just lured into all of these novel ideas for the sake yeah. of, of novelty. And they feel very much of the moment. Mm. But the reality is the vast majority of such new ideas have antecedents, whether they're acknowledged or not. And yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that novel idea actually is 10,000 or, you know, yeah, you can I mean, hundreds of years old. Yeah. And I would argue like also knowing your Bible and knowing the historical context of the Bible, right? Like yeah. you, uh, the, the, the conflicts that, uh, Israelites had with neighbors often anticipates like if you're doing yeah. a good biblical exposition, but right. yeah, I, I, th- like, uh, a really good example would be, you know, also like people with, um, questions outside of the faith, right? Yeah. Like, Oh, the skeptical argument seems really compelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife is a, a specialist in French literature and basically whatever cool un, like skeptical position you have, like there's a French philosopher who already thought of it probably 300 years ago. Right. Uh, and so there's been time to like dwell on it and think about it, like weigh it seriously. Yeah. But then, um, you know, uh, just because it sounds like a new argument doesn't make it a good argument. Yeah. Yeah. How, how many times over the past couple of years have I, have I been told something like, Oh, you know, you're you're using some rationale from the Old Testament. Does that mean that you stone your ch- your disobedient children? Uh, uh, yeah, because we have we have not thought about that question in the last two thousand years. Right. <laughs> Nobody's brought that up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that. That's very true. That's a good number four. Do you have anything about or anything else about that one, Matt? No, that was that that. So it's time saver. Uh, Wait. That's number three? No, that was number four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Church that's, history. That's it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Number three is a time saver. Number two is it's a time saver. Number one is a time saver. You went uh, meta for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> this is an inception moment for our podcast. Uh, yeah, so number three, I'd say, is uh, essentially it gives you perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Now, it was, as I was thinking about this, it was fight, right? Like, we, we're in this moment where, where like, we're, we're reading newspaper headlines, if we read newspapers, I guess. Um, I've heard of them. Yeah. Um, actually, sidebar, I ordered the New York Times for the first time, and the kids, it came, and the mm-hmm. kids are, are, like, tearing it apart, and I can't get to it because they're like, newspaper, novel, <laughs> cool. Anyways, but... Um, you know, we're, we're seeing things, uh, and the, you know, there's, there's unhelpful ways here. So, um, I remember I was in a fight with my son recently. I was like, kids are dying in the Ukraine and you're complaining about this. So Perfect. that was, that was really wise past, like that was being great parenting right there. It, it worked really effectively. He, <laughs> he immediately agreed with me. Yeah. Um, but there's like reading, reading church history, like, uh, in Christian history and good history in general, it just helps you get out of your own moment um, mm-hmm. and and get perspective. Um, you know, one one good example of this would be, um, you know, uh, a very recent, very present would be with COVID. And like COVID, it was a huge shock in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but if you read church history, um, you know, there have been many people who, have t- who were talking for several years about how one of the times in which Christianity advanced significantly in the Roman Empire you know, trying to solve, like, how did Christianity 
go from being this like sect, which would have been viewed as a cult, was viewed as a cult, right, to um, influencing such a large swath of people. And there's another story for that outside the Roman Empire. So I don't want to absolutize the Roman Empire story, but it's the one that we kind of know the best. Um, and um, a big piece of that was you had plagues that swept through um, yep. societies and and drastically impacted relationships and families and individuals. Um, and it's not a new thing. And the other thing about that is like that helps you look and, and COVID was incredibly severe. Um, and I know people and I know people with family members who passed away in it. So I don't want to minimize that at all. But it also gives you perspective of like, thank you, God, that this was not more tra- traumatic, right? Because you had, yeah. um, you had these, these plagues that swept through and would kill 10% to one third mm-hmm. of people. Anyways, we, we've been through periods as a church of these plagues that have vastly disrupted society and we feel it in the moment of mm-hmm. how it's disrupted church life and Christian fellowship. Yeah. Um, but it's disrupted everything and this isn't new. And actually there's a, a track record in the past of the church figuring out ways to love and serve each other and their neighbors and yeah. those periods. And could, connected with that real quick, Matt, and I don't perceive that in either of our two contexts, Collins mm-hmm. or Mainline, mm-hmm. that, that we had to fight battles over regathering mm. versus not and masks versus versus i mean it, it sucked for everybody yeah <laughs> we right. were yeah we were all like sad face emoji the whole time yeah but but there are plenty of churches in the u.s even in our region where when to regather was polemicized mm. as, mm. as a conversation within the church mm. and i didn't hear a lot of voices in the midst of those arguments saying hey let's go back and ask the question, has there ever been a time in the history of the church around the world where hindrances to public gathering yeah, has, right, has been right. a thing? As if this is a novel thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and how, how have churches dealt with that, both, yeah. both from a public health perspective or from a church and state perspective? Mm-hmm. There's tons of yeah. historical precedents, not, and not necessarily decisive in one direction or another, but at least it's one of those healthy relativizing things where you may as well pay attention to churches that have been in situations yeah, yeah. Like, like this before, but instead it's churches never faced this before. Therefore we've got to do it this way, yeah, which yeah. is not true. Well, we like our tradition looks to the reformers a lot mm-hmm. and um, you know, Westminster put out a book of like primary sources, faith in the time of plague or age of plague, um, which is helpful. Primary sources It's a little bit thick. I would understand it being hard to wade through for some people, but mm-hmm. You also, um, I'd read years ago, uh, Scott Manetch's uh, Calvin's Company of Pastors, and mm-hmm. that comes up as a, a discussion in there. There's a good little biography. I'm going to, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but there's a little, a good little biography on Theodore Beza. Um, and mm. it talks, one, he has a treatise on the plague. Um, Another and, Reformation person. Yeah, uh, so, sort of like a successor to Calvin yep. in Geneva. Um, and like those guys have caricatures, um, you can either hero worship them or caricature, caricature them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both have really uh, well-rounded, balanced things to say pastorally and practically about how to navigate these situations. And actually, it kind of looked not unlike some of the basic CDC guidance. Sorry. <laughs> Fauci. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm trying to get you like hate mail. This is... <laughs> 
going to get hate texts. H-A-R-M-O-N at liberty.org, everybody. Since I'm making sure to jam seven things into each one of these points, um, <laughs> okay. the other, my, my, my seventh thing on this one with gives perspective, you know, I study French Protestantism, and that's always was, or sometimes, you know, popular as the Huguenots. And on the perspective piece, um, I really appreciated that because um, we, um, you know, I initially started studying them because they were kind of my heroes. I identified with them theologically, mm -hmm. and they were also very much struggled and suffered as a minority in French culture, ultimately kind of losing the battle and being sort of an, uh, a yeah, um, an exile community, um, many, hundreds of thousands, uh, you know, left France um, kind of in, not unlike the Ukrainian refugee wave, you essentially had that going out of hmm. um, France when uh, Protestants ultimately lost. There were a series of like brutal civil wars between Catholics and Protestants. Yeah. But, you know, if you study church history long enough, like you, you read the sources and you realize on the, you know, the people that I identify, the Protestants, there are just, a, there are just as many atrocities committed by the people I identify with as the Catholic side. Right. And the other thing is, you, just, you yeah, the longer you read history, the fewer heroes you can, you know, lift on a pedestal. Yeah. Um, and I think it helps us be gracious and generous in our present moment to people whose views may be slightly different than ours um, on secondary matters. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I think one of the advice that I give to bits of advice that I give to younger pastors is never mentally divide your congregation into good guys mm -hmm. and bad guys mm -hmm. because the good guys will disappoint you and you'll be shattered and the bad yeah. guys you're consigning them never to pleasantly surprising you at the same time sure. and, and you're going to pastorally neglect them. It, it's a surface reading of history in general, specifically church history, if you're just going to figure out who the good guys and bad guys were. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, the reality is it's a lot of gray. They're, it's, mm -hmm. it's simplistic to say good guy, bad guy, good, good guy, bad guy, mm -hmm. which, which I think does mitigate, some of the, mitigate against some of those feelings in our own context where, oh, you know, I'm not completely a good guy myself, and right. the person across the aisle yeah. probably isn't completely a bad guy either. Yeah, that's a good segue, Jim, to my second point. The, um, so one of the things I find, one of the, uh, my second favorite reason for reading church history is I find it deeply encouraging hmm. and gives deep confidence. Now, there's a caveat there, as we were just talking about, like, there's not good guys and bad guys. Yeah. There is a strand of historical writing, which uh, the technical term is hagiography, which uh, comes from uh, holy uh, prefix. And that, that's a, that's a big area of study of mine with Bruce Springsteen biographies right there. So. Yeah, there's probably there probably are two types of Bruce Springsteen biographies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a hagiography, uh, there's also in popular languages like Saints Lives, which was a big genre of literature that mm -hmm. actually Rebecca has studied in French literature. Right. Um, and essentially those stories are like the hero can do, do no wrong. Um, mm. And you know, the good, the best version of those will show how, say, the life of the saint matches or, or reflects the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, the worst ones are just like, here's the perfect person who do no wrong. Yeah, um, total airbrushing. Yeah, and um, the, the flip side of that is if you give a human portrait of uh, characters, um, and this is something where it's actually really helpful to have non-Christian um, biographers because mm. sometimes they have a more built-in uh, reflex to be a little bit 
critical of uh, at least in more positive distance. ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not trying. You're not trying to justify your your own position mm -hmm. through your figure that you're studying. Um, but when you have um, a character who has all of the grays, that's actually more encouraging personally to me because mm. I see all of my shortcomings and flaws. Yeah. So I was I remember reading through. Uh, a, uh, I was reading um, Brand Luther, really good book on Luther, uh, a biography of John Knox um, by Yale University Press. Uh, again, blanking on the author's name. Um, Jonathan, uh, 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 Jonathan Edwards by George Marston. You yeah, know, there's a whole, and um, there's a, a great one on John Calvin. Uh, by, I think it's um, Bruce Gordon. I'm reading these biographies, and these are people who are deeply influential in, yeah. the, in the faith. And you see that they had flaws and God used them in significant ways uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, like, I don't actually identify, like, I'm not uh, a mover and shaker in the same ways that those people are. But really good history. Yeah. <laughs> we have plans. Uh, <laughs> so um, reading those stories, you realize um, they are not the only person who is significant in this movement. So yeah. I remember I read back to back biographies or, or Brand Luther and then the John Knox biography. And I realized like these guys would drive me crazy and they had people around them who were constantly basically cleaning up messes that they created, right? doing their PR for them. And I realized like if I were in the story, I'd be the guy. So John Knox, it was Christopher Goodman, like lifelong friends. Okay. And Goodman was constantly like trying to like unruffle the feathers that, that Knox stirred up. And so, uh, I was like, I would be this guy, like trying to clean up his messes. Yeah. Um, so I'm still in the story, but you realize like it takes teams of people, groups mm -hmm. of people to affect real change over time. Right. I remember a few years ago at my previous church, I, I read through the first couple of volumes of the Richard Muller post-reformation, uh, reform dog dogmatics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think this is true of all kinds of history where we reduce historical pe historical periods to just one or two figures, mm, which yeah. totally distorts the whole context in which they're yeah. writing, leading, living, arguing. Yeah, that like that. So it's so much more than just Luther and Calvin for the Reformation, yeah. That Bruce Bruce Gordon biography of Calvin is really good. He like actually shows how Calvin was essentially in the middle of like three, uh, sorry, two triumvirates over the course of his ministry. Mm -hmm. He was one guy alongside Pharrell and Pierre Vire early in his ministry, and then yeah. it was Calvin Beza, and I'm forgetting the third who was um, alongside them later. But yeah, and because each of these points has seven subpoints, the the <laughs> other thing that's encouraging, I was thinking about how um, like why church history is encouraging. I don't know if you noticed this, Jim, but like reading people who do cultural analysis, I feel like most people who do cultural analysis, it's deeply discouraging because it's always essentially like a downward trajectory hmm. it's like a story of decline yeah um, and i think if you read good church history christian history um it it's kind of like reading the book of revelation right if you yeah. don't get lost in the weeds of the book of revelation you have the story that jesus wins yeah um, well, that's good and i'm not a post-millennialist um convictionally that i think faith will expand uh, numerically over time and eventually take things over. I do have an eschatology story for later. Okay. Um, but there is this, like you read Christian history and it's astonishing the way that the faith spreads over time and mm -hmm. it's slow. I'm going to preach on um, uh, Mark chapter four and the parable of, 
or the kingdom of God is like a seed that grows right. over time and the farmer goes to sleep, wakes up, doesn't know what's happening. And then over time it grows. And that's the story of, of the gospel through history, the person of Jesus yeah. through history. And that's deeply encouraging and pushes back on uh, those sort of decline narratives, which mm. I think tend to be kind of selective and tend to focus on specific manifestations of the faith when they're talking about like decline of Christian faith. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or it just swings in the, the hagiography direction mm. at the same time yeah. where it's just a triumphalistic wooden narrative as well. So a Sunday morning at Liberty Collingswood preaching on Matthew, uh, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, the great mm -hmm. commission. And mm -hmm. one of the things that struck me in studying this passage is we know the passage for go therefore and make disciples of all nations, mm -hmm. baptizing them, teaching them. The I think it's verse verse seventeen where Matthew writes, and when they saw the risen Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Yeah. And and I'm gonna give a quote from Saint Jerome, who's saying, Hey, even at this super dramatic you know, pretty big deal moment in mm -hmm. the history of the church mm -hmm. where Jesus gives the, sure. the great commission. Yeah. The disciples are doubting, even doubting Jesus, even at that moment. And Jerome yeah. makes the, makes the point, their doubt, their doubt helps our faith. Mm. Sure. And, and so generation after generation in church history, we see flawed men and women carrying forward the kingdom of God. And what do you know? We're flawed too. Yeah. That's all that, and that's all that God has to work with. Um, and yet he does it nonetheless. And it's uh, a grace that he includes us in that work. Yeah. 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 I, I probably like, as you tell that, I probably would have been the guys like delighted to see Jesus, but also like, there's not a projector someplace is there. <laughs> yeah. Just, it's hard to kill those, those doubtful reflexes or skeptical reflexes. <laughs> is this VR? <laughs> holograms yeah they're going to do this one day with prince <laughs> they are don't think they have the technology then <laughs> they have it pretty already. confident yep yep very true yep yeah so uh i i just did like 24 points in the first four so that's right here here you go number number one is really short okay. short and sweet number one reason to read church history christian history yeah is because i believe in the holy spirit oh interesting and the holy Tell spirit the holy spirit indwells all believers through history mm -hmm. um the holy spirit unites us uh, to jesus um and unites us to each other and the holy spirit's at work giving insight to mm -hmm. believers and i remember thinking this years ago i was in a session meeting a gathering of elders yeah. and i realized um we accomplish so much more working together as a team because the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and insight and experience yep. to a room full of elders that none of us have individually. Yeah. Multiply that out across the church, um, and we have that. I have to recognize the Holy Spirit at work in my brothers and sisters, and that doesn't just apply at the moment geographically. That's mm -hmm. not just inclusive geographically, but it's yeah. also inclusive generationally. Right. And so if the Holy Spirit's been at work in previous generations, I might not agree with every single thing because people are flawed and, and yeah. draw, draw faulty conclusions all right. the time. I draw faulty conclusions all the time. But I can, I can trust that there's going to be wisdom and insight because God, the Holy Spirit, it dwells, indwells his people. Yeah, hasn't left the church. Um, and led them to see and understand things from his word and, from, and to interpret our experience in light of the word 
in ways that are uh, healthy and helpful. Mm -hmm. so. Very true. Yeah. The, uh, do you want to hear my eschatology story? Oh, please. So, so I have a specific person in mind that would think everything that you're saying is total hogwash. My <laughs> uh, previous church context in, in West Texas, and Matt, I don't know if you're experiencing this going from your context in Western Pennsylvania mm -hmm. to, to mainline. You, you sometimes feel different questions. Yeah. Different, do do you? <laughs> yeah. the, so, so in Bible Belt, West Texas, I, I would field a lot of questions about eschatology, study of last things. Mm. So Matt men mentioned post-millennialism. You got the pre-mill and different kinds of pre-millennialism. You got mm. amillennialism. And turtle doves, if you have no idea what you're talking about, that's or what I'm talking about, that's okay. The, also that covenant versus dispensational theology. And, oh, and, yeah. And, and all, yeah, you were right. All these... I mean, nothing's right down the street in Texas because Texas is so big, but you're right down the street from Dallas ETS. Theological. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so there, there was a, one person that visited my church for the first time, mm -hmm. and, and he said, hey, I, I don't think I've told you this story before, Matt. I've, mm. I've told a couple other people at Liberty mm. Collins with this. First-time visitor came up to me after the service, and you know the people that like beeline up to you oh, after, yeah, they have after one the issue. benediction. Yeah, yeah. And he said, hey, I'd love to take you out to lunch. Also a red flag when you just meet somebody. <laughs> That's so, too generous. Yeah. There's an agenda. Right. It's, it's, it's an invitation to being a captive audience. I'm afraid <clears throat> my schedule is really full for a couple of weeks. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please, please, please reach out to my admin. I haven't hired an admin yet. <laughs> Go ahead and you know, send a missive in that direction. The... So he said, I'd really love to take you out to lunch because I want to talk eschatology. And I was like, that's great. So, mm -hmm. so I made sure to at least in, be the one to choose the lunch spot because I knew that this was there not going to be a fun conversation. Schedule about another meeting afterwards. <laughs> right, the... exactly. So, so he said, I want to talk about last things, eschatology. Bring your Bible. That was the last thing. Nice. And, and so at, at lunch, this, this guy unfolded to me a theory of the last days mm. that was neither covenantal nor dispensational, neither premillennial nor postmillennial nor amillennial, something that was totally sui generis, just his own ideas. Nice. And It's amazing what you can find on <laughs> but, the internet. But, 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 it, but it, was, it was him with a ton of Bible verses uh, a, uh, in the Socinian tradition, even though he didn't realize it, just nice. taking random passages, putting them together. And when, when I finished my burger, I, I said, hey, I don't really have a lot to engage or say right now, but just by way of observation, this, this, this theology of the end times that you've just articulated to me, I don't think this view, and I said, I don't know everything, and I'm not like a huge <laughs> church historian, <laughs> I said, I don't think this, this view has ever been articulated by any Christian tradition more than that by any individual Christian mm. in the history of the church until I'm hearing these ideas from you right now. There you go. And he said, yeah. And I said, does it give you pause that the, <laughs> the, for 2,000 years you of Christendom that, that, that had the same Bible that you do yeah and nobody came to the conclusions that you have just come to yeah and you're saying that that 
that's not a problem and that you're right. And he was like, yep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, the pastoral situation, so Norm, the pastor that uh, we both had in college, yeah. um, I remember him saying that when somebody did that, he, Norm's response was, why don't you sit around for six months and listen and see if this is the place that's right for you? <laughs> Actually, and then on church history note, there was one point where I was doing a project for something and writing these like background articles. And yeah. I knocked out like a series of like cult articles in mm -hmm. a row. And I realized all these cult articles or all these cults are basically started by people who are really smart and kind of isolated, often in northern New England from where, where I'm from. <laughs> And I just imagine people shut in in the middle of the winter with nobody to talk to um, who had too much free time and too right. much brains. Yep. And they just kept coming up with bad ideas. Too much brains, too much brandy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too cold, too lonely. There we go. It's so that's something to look forward to post-COVID. Like, who, who knows what's been stewing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm genuinely nervous. Matt, could, could I give you one bonus question? Yeah. So what if there are some turtle loves listening to this podcast and they're like, I am in, I mm. want to learn more about church history. What do I do? Where do I go? Oh, sure. How do I start? Because, yeah. you know, do I just go to Mr. Googly and type in church history and read the first thing I see? Do I go to blogs? Do I go to books? What blogs, what books, what resources? Oh yeah. Um, so I'll say, um, the place that I would start is um, if you're kind of dipping your toe in, Anthony Lane has a book, Concise History of Christian okay. Thought, I think it's called. Uh, Anthony Lane is the, the key there, and concise is definitely in the title. Um, that's, a really good, that's a really good survey. We would recommend that um, to people who are trying to brush up on their church history for nation exams. Mm -hmm. um, and that's for people like even ministers don't have great grounding in church history. And it's also kind of a fun read. He so, okay. he so he drops in some fun things. It's a little pricey as a paperback because I don't know that's in like regular print. It's kind of like a print on demand title, but it's, okay. it's well worth it. Hmm. Um, personally, I really love uh, biographies. Um, I love um, Yale, uh, Yale University Press. Um, uh, the caliber of the books that they publish is great. Mm -hmm. So there's George Marsden on Jonathan Edwards, if you're interested in Bruce Gordon on Calvin. Um, trying to think. Um, yeah. So if you if you look at that section of Yale University, it's great. Um, it's, I haven't read the Calvin one, but I'll second the Marsden. That's yeah. Great church yeah, history, yeah. church biography. If you're wanting something that like connects with the modern moment where brands are really important, like Brand Luther is actually a really interesting read talking about he was like self-consciously using the technology of his day mm -hmm. um, for the ends of trying to advance the message that he had. So those are those are just like fun reads. Oh, I thought you meant when you said that earlier, the person that wrote that book on Martin Luther, his name was Brand No, Luther. the title. Yeah, the title okay. is Brand Luther. Uh, that's Andrew Pedigree, I think. Uh, Got it. E-E at the end. Um, yeah, I, I'm not great at doing surveys because like I, I like delving into to detailed stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, Calvin's company of pastors is a really fun read. Um, a general thing, if you're really interested in, um, world his, world Christian history, things I've enjoyed. So Andrew Walls, W-A-L-L-S, uh, kind of started the trend of, yeah. of world studying world Christianity. And mm -hmm. he's actually... He's really at an intersection uh, between church history and missions. Okay. Because he went, he was a church, he was trained as a church historian, went and to taught, teach seminary in West Africa. Hmm. And he realized that essentially the West African church at that moment where he was there, I mean, there's been Christian churches in West Africa uh, long before, but the cultural moment when he was there in the 20th century, essentially it was a second or third century church. And hmm. so 
they, in terms of the development of their church, uh, they were at that, uh, that moment. Um, so that's a really good one. Um, um, so yeah, maybe I'll give you some other ideas because I blank on, on titles and you, I don't know if you, do you have show notes? I can give you some other things to put in five golden things pod yeah. at gmail.com. That's yeah. F I V E. Feel free to write in. And if there are questions about church history or resources, I will be happy to relay them to Matt and relay them back to the listeners. Hey, everybody, wanted also to relay to you that we have a couple of writers already. Turtle Loves, thanks for writing in. This one comes from Maya, suggesting some categories for future five golden things. We are hard at work to find new top fives. Best board games, best sports history moments, and I'll only say about that, stay tuned. I've already recorded something up in that direction. Top five parables can be in any gospel account. Maya, thank you for writing in. And then also we have a write-in in subject header, different language. El vos tranquilo de Roger Santavanez y otra cosas, which I think means the, tranquil, the beautifully peaceful voice of Roger Santavanez and other categories. So this comes from Kelly. Thank you for writing in. I caught up on all things Liberty Church Collingswood podcasts while I shop sat for my friend who owns a snooty furniture store today. Some thoughts. I could listen to Roger read poetry all day long, kicking myself that we didn't ask him to read poetry at our wedding, though he did wear a fedora, which is almost as cool. Loved hearing his thoughts about life and poetry. I will say I I received so many comments about what an awesome guest Roger was and the dude purrs poetry like a Rolls Royce. Possible future five golden things lists. I like these too. Top five things that worked in friendships you had as a kid that you wish still worked as an adult. Top five things you bought on Amazon during the lockdown you wish you didn't. Top five things to do or not to do on a road trip. Appreciate the content and the company while I sat on uncomfortable and expensive furniture this afternoon. Lovely. See everybody at the Facebook Live event on April 4th, 7.30 p.m. And I trust that this podcast will live far beyond even the April 4th. Matt, thank you so much for this time. It was a lot of fun. Any parting shots? Let's go, Lenten. (laughs) Ta-ta, turtle loves. Wow. That was definitely a top five episode of Five Golden Things, The Liberty Lists. And remember, kids... Schadenfreude? Ain't just a river in Egypt. Wade in the water a little deeper anytime at libertycollingswood.org and find us at the usual socials. Make us a top five follow, and you'll always be our number one. Toodle pip! Yeah. Travel candy? Or like if you want to eat a lot of a candy, obviously.